Laura, thank you for coming in to talk to us today. Um, and to start off, could you fill our listeners in on what the Greek Unconformity is and also what first attracted you to this project? Sure. So the Great Unconformity is just one example of a really common feature in the sedimentary rock record. So sedimentary rocks are rocks that are formed from sand, gravel, basically bits of other rocks. And it's very common that you'll have one type of rock, which is very distinct, like maybe it's a certain color, and then juxtaposed against that you'll have another different sedimentary rock. Maybe the texture is different, the color is different, it's made of different stuff. And so anytime we see this type of contact between one rock and a different one, that's referred to as an unconformity. And it represents just kind of a pause in when material was around long enough um, in a certain place under certain conditions and able to actually turn into rock. So when we see rocks outside, when we're hiking or in the mountains or kind of basically anywhere around Boulder, um, we're actually not seeing a lot of time represented in those rocks preservation. A lot of Earth's history is actually represented in these unconformities or contacts where we don't have anything preserved. So the great unconformity is kind of a special case of this because it represents so much missing time. It's over a billion years in most places, um, representing a time period from about one and a half billion years ago to about 500 million years ago. So this time period in Earth's history is really interesting for a lot of reasons. One, um, it's a time when there were a lot of changes on Earth's surface having to do with the composition of the atmosphere and how the plate, uh, the tectonic plates looked and what the continents looked like at this time. And it's also thought to be a time that was really important for the evolution of multicellular life, partially because of these other changes going on in terms of composition, like what nutrients were available to support life, um, temperature conditions, and various climate things. So it's a really interesting time period, but we don't have a lot of rocks preserved from that time period that could tell us about the environment. Instead, we have this gap, uh, the Great Unconformity, which is represented as this contact between rocks that are really, really old, over one and a half billion years, and then rocks that are much younger, typically around 500 million years old, which is still really old on a human time scale, but not so old to a geologist. And what first attracted you to this project? Um, partially, uh, what I was saying about how there was like a lot of change going on during this time in Earth's history, I think that's really interesting because we know quite a lot about how the Earth is today in the modern world. And by looking at other planets in our solar system, such as Mars, we can get an idea of maybe what Earth might have looked like as well, um, sort of shortly after its formation. But sort of this transition between being like very inhospitable, devoid of any sort of most life as we know it now, versus what we think of today of Earth, which is full of life. In fact, life is probably the most important thing affecting the surface of the planet now. Uh, we just really don't have any other analogs for that transition. So like Earth is really the only place we can study that. And unfortunately, we just don't have this direct record for the most part. So anything to try to understand this time a little bit better, I think is a really important step to understanding how this happened and like how we have Earth as we know it today. And could you explain your theory about how the breakup of Redonia produced the Great Unconformity and what findings led up to this, the finding of this theory? Sure. So this idea that, so Rodinia is a supercontinent. So you may be familiar with Pangaea. That was the most recent supercontinent that occurred and then broke up to form the continents that we have today. But there have actually been several supercontinents over Earth's history and Rodinia is one of the earlier ones. So uh, we know Rodinia was a supercontinent based on a lot of other independent 
geologic evidence about where parts of the continent were during this time period. They were all kind of focused together near what's now the equator. Um, and so people have hypothesized that you had this big supercontinent, single landmass, and when it broke up, what that means is that a lot of rock is now exposed to the atmosphere that wasn't exposed before. And when rock gets exposed to the atmosphere or to water through the oceans or rain, um, it will undergo chemical reactions with gases in the atmosphere or with water that will break down the rock and lead to widespread erosion. And so it had been hypothesized that you have a supercontinent, breaks up, you have a lot of new material that's exposed, can be weathered and eroded away. And so that's a scale of erosion and eroded material that would make sense to leave this lasting impression as an unconformity in the record. Like, you wouldn't expect to have a lot of rock preserved because we know there were other processes happening that was going to be removing a lot of rock because of the supercontinent breakup. So what I was trying to do in part was to test, okay, well, this has been hypothesized and it kind of makes sense from a theoretical perspective, but is there actually evidence that this is what caused the erosion that leads to the great unconformity being preserved today? And what we found in the Grand Canyon is that it seems at least in large part that there is evidence that erosion occurred at a time that's consistent with the breakup of the supercontinent and that that probably was the primary control on when erosion was happening and also sort of just lack of sedimentary rock preservation. Um, and so now all that material was removed, nothing was preserved, and we see this gap in time. And uh, could you break down for us how you're using thermochronology to track the history of heat and stone to figure out its place in history? Yeah, so thermochronology literally means like study of heat through time. Um, and so that's the method that I use to look at erosion. And the way that this works is that erosion can be thought of as a cooling process. When rocks are very deep below the surface of the earth, maybe several miles, um, which is still considered relatively shallow, um, they're very hot because they're under a lot of pressure from all the rock that's on top of them. But if that rock is removed through erosion, the so water is carrying stuff away, maybe you have some like earthquake activity that's causing large blocks of crust to move around, so stuff is getting a lot closer to the surface, then that rock is going to cool down because it doesn't have that pressure on top of it anymore. And so we can track um, that cooling process using this technique called thermochronology. And this way, the way that this works is that we take advantage of the fact that rocks are full of elements that undergo radioactive decay. So the most common is uranium. Uranium will decay and eventually decay into lead. But along the way, as it's decaying into lead, it also produces helium atoms as it breaks apart. And helium is a gas, and so whether or not it sort of stays in the rock is dependent on several factors, but one of those things is temperature. So the hotter a gas gets, the easier it is for it basically to escape its container. So if a rock's really hot, helium will diffuse, it'll escape, won't be present anymore. And if so if we went and looked at how much helium was in that rock right now, we wouldn't find any, it would be zero. But if the rock's a lot cooler, then that helium doesn't have as much energy, it can't escape, and so it, it's stuck there. And so if we went and measured it, we would find helium in addition to uranium. And by looking at that ratio of uranium to helium, you could say, okay, well, in this rock, I find this much uranium and this much helium. And because I know approximately how long it takes for uranium to decay and produce helium, 
I can use this relationship to calculate a date of from when helium started to be contained in the rock. And that represents a time of cooling. Um, so there's a lot of steps that go into this to measure all of these different elements. Um, and you also have to apply some other corrections related to what type of rock you're using, kind of other things you know about the history it's undergone to try to say, okay, I have this date, but now I need to interpret that. And I know it's related to a change in temperature, but what kind of change in temperature? Like maybe material was removed through erosion, or maybe it cooled through some other means, like, um, like earthquake activity, like I was talking about, which would not necessarily be related to an erosive process. Um, and so what we have found in the Grand Canyon is that it seems like the dates that we have are consistent with cooling that's partly related to erosion, but has a lot to do with earthquakes and has a lot to do with faults um, and moving large blocks of the crust, which is also very, um, it's what you'd expect in a supercontinent breakup situation, because basically you're tearing the crust apart. This is moving and displacing tons of material. And so um, we're moving a lot of rock that was very deep below the surface to the surface relatively quickly. Um, and so we not only look at the exact sort of dates that we get and the time that that represents, but also the time scale of how quickly um, the rock cooled down. It's crazy how many steps go into it and how intricate the process is. Um, yeah. And what has been your most groundbreaking or exciting discovery in your research so far? Um, so in the Grand Canyon, we actually weren't really expecting to be able to find out anything about the Great Unconformity. We were, because the Grand Canyon's in a location that has had a lot of things happen to it. Um, it's part of the oldest piece of North America. Um, so these rocks have just been around for a long time and they have undergone so many things, you know, they formed into a supercontinent, they broke apart um, to form smaller continents, they came back together. Um, the Rocky Mountains formed, which was another sort of heated everything up again. So all these rocks were squished together to form the mountains. And so we weren't, we were expecting actually to see more of this Rocky Mountain and Colorado Plateau formation uh, story, like looking, and we were expected to see cooling after that event occurred. But it, to our surprise, uh, we found that actually we had dates that were really old. They were from this time period um, that I mentioned, the Great Unconformity spans for about 1.5 billion to 500 million years ago. Um, and in addition to that, we can also see in our data from different samples that we were actually not just seeing one heating history preserved, but actually we we're seeing multiple. And so it seems like for one part of the canyon, the western part, which probably most, if you've been to the national park, you probably aren't as familiar with this part because it's um, outside of the main, sort of the main path of most visitors found that that history is, like, that's the part that's most consistent um, with sort of being related to the supercontinent breakup. And it seems like that part, like those rocks and that part of the canyon region, like, they cooled around 800 million years ago. Um, and that's probably related to faulting. And it's probably related to faulting related to the supercontinent breakup. But in the eastern part of the canyon, the part that most vis park visitors are probably more familiar with, it's actually much more complicated. We started to have some cooling happen around that time, but there were also small slivers within that region that stayed pretty hot and didn't cool until later. And we think that this has to do with, um, rather than these rocks moving to the surface during this time, actually 
they were staying pretty hot because they were having uh, sediments deposited on top, basically. They were having new sedimentary rocks formed. Um, and so they stayed hot for longer until um, those, some of those rocks were eventually removed. And there, there's some independent evidence of this besides just thermochronology. There are actually some sedimentary rocks from right before 500 million years ago. Um, like I said, it's pretty rare to find rocks from this time period. We actually do have some here, which is indicating that, you know, there was at least some rock forming, like it was stable enough for that to happen, at least to some extent. And we think that probably these rocks formed in a relatively small, kind of either shallow sea type environment that may have been intermittently closed off from sort of larger oceans, so it would have been more like a lake. Sometimes it would have been open. Um, this is actually a very, uh, there are a lot of people interested in this, a lot of other geologists, and so there's a lot of work being done trying to figure out the extent to which this was you know, open to the ocean versus uh, closed off because that potentially has implications for evolution of some fossil-like forms that are found in these rocks. Um, but basically, what we found is that it's not just a single sort of cooling and single erosion-related event here that forms the Great Unconformity as we see it now. Because um, right now, uh, when we observe it, it looks like one feature, but it actually probably happened via multiple mechanisms that happened at pretty different points in time. So some that happened around 800 million years ago, some that happened probably right up at like 500 million years ago, so separated by about 300 million years. And what fascinates you most about the Great Unconformity, personally? Um, I think it's really interesting how widespread it is. So part of the other, one of the other reasons I was like really interested in studying this is that it's seen all over the world. It's not just in the Grand Canyon, and it's not even just on North America, um, which is partially why other scientists have thought maybe there was like some big single event that caused this that was just global in scope and so just basically removed miles of material off the continents um, during this time. Um, and so if, if that's the case, that's really interesting because there aren't actually a whole lot of global events like that that we have evidence for in Earth's history. Um, there are a couple others, including one that happens during sort of this general time period, which is another hypothesized cause for what caused erosion, and that's the Snowball Earth glaciation. So pretty much the entire Earth was covered with ice. It was a very cold climate. Um, and there's a lot of evidence showing that this was indeed a global feature. Um, so, you know, we see rocks that had to have been formed during a glacial environment all over the world. Um, however, it really seems like it might kind of just be a coincidence that this erosional feature is observed everywhere. But it's still, it's still kind of a mystery why it seems like erosion occurred sort of down to a level to get rid of any most almost all rocks that would have formed during this time period, but not the rocks before that. Like, why are there all these rocks from like 1.7 to 1.5 billion years ago, but not anything like slightly younger than that? Um, or very few rocks that are slightly younger than that. Like, that's still a big mystery. Um, and it might not be that there was a lot of rock that was eroded. It might just be that conditions weren't right for those rocks to be preserved, which is also an interesting question because it doesn't seem like that's how things work now on Earth. Um, it seems like we have a fair amount of 
preservation happening today? And so why did that shift happen? That's an unanswered question. That sounds like the world's biggest puzzle. <laughs> and I have one more question for you today. Do you have any plans for future researcher endeavors? Yes, so I'm actually currently working on trying to understand the same feature in southern Canada, sort of around um, the Great Lakes area, but on the Canadian side. And that's another interesting place to look at this because there, the gap in time is actually a little bit bigger than it is in the Grand Canyon. Um, the rocks that are form the top part of the unconformity are about 450 million years old, so they're a little bit younger. Um, and there's some other constraints that seem to suggest that erosion here, probably like the main, or the main cooling, shouldn't say it's erosion, because that's really just an interpretation. The main cooling occurred at around potentially um, as recent as 500 million years ago, which is very different from most of what we see in the Grand Canyon, which is suggesting potentially, I mean, it's, it's providing evidence that this isn't a global event, but it's also pointing to maybe a different cause for cooling, um, which means that even just like on the scale of a con North America, um, have some like very different things happening during this time period. Well, Bara, thank you so much again for coming in and talking with us today. And thanks for having me.